way to start the morning, right? Thank you. Uh, that was amazing. Great way to get the vibe in here. Good morning, everyone. My name is Alita. I'm part of the charitable giving team here at Friends Church. And so we talk about the different ways that we can give charitably to ensure that Friends Church can do the work that they do. Um, we have an app spiritual for spiritual, or sorry, an app for charitable giving um, called the Spiritual Spiritual Gym. We have the black box at the back if you're a paper person and like to write a check. And we also have um, a giving or donate button at friendschurch.ca. And an important thing coming up here, our big push at Friends Church is our Christmas campaign. And we have 57 individuals who we are looking to adopt for the Christmas season could be mothers, could be teenagers, could be children. And they have a list of gifts, of needs, and a wish um, that we can help fill so that they have an amazing Christmas. So just outside in the lobby, we have our giving tree. If you're able to take a tag or two to fill those up, those 57 individuals, and we can adopt them and ensure that they have a great Christmas. We also make sure that each family has a $50 gift card per person for groceries so that they're getting the food and the goods that they need to help make sure that they can celebrate with um, an amazing feast and be well fed during the season as well. So we hope you can help out on that. Thank you. Thank you, Alita. And thank you, everyone, who have already been involved in that Christmas hamper campaign. It comes quick. We got three weeks from the time that we get the lists to the time that we got to have them filled and get ready to have our wrapping party on December 4th here in the social hall, where we'll wrap up all the gifts, pack them up, load them up onto a big moving van, and get ready to ship them off to these families. Uh, thank you for, for attending to that. It, it requires a big effort. 57 individuals still needing to be adopted. We need all hands on deck there. Um, one other thing I'll mention, we have a discussion group uh, in the library right after the service here. It's really an opportunity to be able to process some of the stuff that we've been talking about. And uh, whether it's stuff pertaining to the message, maybe it's stuff that's just going on in your own individual journey. Um, it's a safe place, and it's, it's a wonderful opportunity to be able to engage with others around that. So make yourself available to that. January is one of those tough months, isn't it? Not only is it one of the coldest of the year, it's also the month after December. One of the most hyped up seasons of the year. And uh, I don't know about you, but often when January rolls around, it's the time when your credit card statement arrives and you realize how much got spent in that hyped up season, wanting to bless some people, wanting to do some good things. You maybe begin to reflect on some of the things that went south in the family gatherings and the Christmas parties. Maybe things you said or did that you kind of now kind of regret. Sometimes in January is when you recognize some of the missed opportunities you had in December to really have some meaningful connections with someone. Maybe it's your, your kid, maybe it was with your parent. 
close friends that you got together with, they just missed opportunities. You know, you go, ah, geez, where was I? Well, maybe I was, I was just a little too stressed, or I was a little too distracted, or maybe I was drunk, or on and on, right? All those different things. January is kind of the grand revealer when you look back and you go, what the heck? The extra pounds maybe someone put on, maybe some decisions you made that just betrayed who you are or who you want to be. January, well, yeah, January is when we sit and kind of stare at some of this stuff. It's truly survey the collateral damage of the most wonderful time of the year. Talking about January this morning, maybe some of you are saying, geez, we're in November. We got 42 days till January 1. And I like to believe that we are still far enough out to possibly alter what our January experience will be. In fact, that's really the point of this series that we're beginning called Mary Stick to It Christmas. If you've been a part of what we've been doing over the last number of months, you'll remember that in September we began a series called In Search of the Meaningful Life. In Search of the Meaningful Life, the meaningful life that it seems the pandemic messed with for many of us in, in very real ways. We began to talk about what it is, what are the components of a meaningful life, and how can we how can we get back to them? How can we begin to rebuild so that what we're doing on a daily basis is pointing to that? In that series, we talked about things like urgency, living with a sense of urgency, realizing that our days are numbered. You're on this planet for a finite time. You don't got forever. We got a window here. And so to live with a sense of urgency, we talked about what it's like to not get involved trying to be things or do things that are not who we are. Trying to recognize who am I and playing to my strengths and not continually to my weaknesses. We talked about living in a way that honors our passions, those things that matter deeply to us that might not matter to someone else, but they matter to you. Including that as part of your daily criteria for your focus and your energy. And lastly, we said, if you can wrap up all those things and align it with your, your deepest core values, if you can do all that, I'm telling you, you're setting a trajectory to experience a meaningful life. But we weren't kidding anyone. We said again and again, that is not something you just do overnight. That is hard work to line up your life in a way that meets those criterias. There's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of things that are going to pull you in a lot of different directions to keep your life, the nuts and bolts of what you are spending your time and energy and talents on, in those categories, it's, it's hard. Which is why we then spent the next series called In the Groove, Talking about ritualizing the behaviors, the practices that get us focused on those things. Wiring them into our calendar, saying that relationship with my kid matters, so I'm going to make sure that in any given month I have dates set up to spend time with that person.
I'm going to make sure every given week I am focusing on my health by making appointments to deal with it. So we spent four weeks, five weeks, talking about ritualizing different parts of our lives, emotional, relational, physical, spiritual. What can be frustrating, though, is even after doing all that, aligning, working hard at building our lives on these foundational components of the meaningful life, and then ritualizing it all, even after doing all that work, we can find ourselves at times just making stupid decisions. Something inside us comes out, and in the moment when we know the best thing to do, something says, "Mm mm-mm, I don't feel like that. How many know what I'm saying? You know the best thing to do, but something says, not today. Forget it. Let's party. I'm going shopping. Give me my Amazon. Digs in its heels. I can't help but think of someone I'll call John. Part of John's honest evaluation of his life and journey was that he was at his best when he was physically healthy. He just said, man, when I'm, when I'm on top of my physical game, taking care of myself physically, I can't explain it, but just so much else goes well. He says, when, when, when I'm, I'm maintaining my weight, when I'm watching what I'm eating, I'm just being active. It just triggers a whole bunch of good stuff. But in a heartfelt, candid moment, John says, I I think, well, I don't think. I let things get away on me. And he said, now that I'm behind the eight ball, he said, I'm self-conscious. I'm less willing to get out and do stuff with people. Things that nourish me, that nourish my soul, relationally and intellectually, I'm... I'm reclusing. I can feel it. He said, and and I'm sleeping poor. I feel insecure. He knew that part of his spiritual journey, part of the meaningful life for him, was to get healthy again. So John, in this moment of real awareness, says, that's it. I'm tired of this. He gets out and he gets intentional, he starts really paying attention to his eating habits. It, just, it was like, he just said, screw it, I'm doing this now. He joins the gym, he begins working out. It's like he's not even into it very long, but he, he, he's saying, I, I just feel myself becoming who I want to be. I, I just feel so much better. He hadn't even seen a ton of results yet, but he said, something's changing, something's changing. So excited. And then he entered the Christmas season. He said, I forgot how much I enjoy the baking that comes out in this season. <laughs> He's like, oh. He said, at some point, I just stopped counting. He, had, he said he attended a couple Christmas parties. He said, you wouldn't believe the food they had there, Jeff. 
And in my mind, I just, I told myself, you know what, I've been working really hard. I deserve this. Then he said, you know, a few days I missed the gym. I wasn't feeling good, you know, a couple parties. I, but he said, then the few days turned into a few weeks. And frick, there it was in January. And he said, this time it just felt demoralizing. In a real candid moment, he says, I don't know if I got what it takes to try again. How tragic. Why, when he had the plan, he knew how good he was starting to feel. He was coming out of his shell. He was feeling hopeful. You know, it doesn't seem to matter what your challenge is, whatever part of your life that seems to have a way of getting the best of you. It doesn't matter what area it is. This is one of the most common tales told in January. There is a war, it seems, that can take place within us between two forces, you know, one that wants to do the very thing we know is the best thing. The best thing for us, for the people in our lives, for the people around us. But there is another part of us that just isn't convinced. And it fights, it craves other things. Something easier, something more fun, something less work, something that just doesn't make me feel uncomfortable. Some that just seems to want to avoid the momentary stress or pain or conflict. It's like some part of us is just riding the brakes when we're wanting to get traction in some part of our life. It's just pushing on those brakes. Or at times, it's hitting the gas pedal, wanting us to run towards something we know we don't want or we shouldn't do. It's just hitting the gas, going, yeah, let's go. Let me ask you, when was the last time you felt that tug of war? Something inside you saying, come on. Screw that. Let's go. Oh, quit worrying about that. Have another. You deserve it. I picture Homer, Homer Simpson. You know, the proverbial angel and devil. And he's like, hmm, hmm. <laughs> and these things have a life of their own. They're talking to him. Both are pretty convincing. But man, that devil, he's got a real convincing story. Let me ask you something. What does your impulsive side, your devil, want you to do most often? What is it constantly whispering in your ear saying, come would you know? Does it say, come on? Throw caution to the wind. You can afford it. Spend it. Does it have you saying yes to one too many people? To one too many things? Does it say, come on? Tonight, 
we're going to live large and we're going to eat. Have another one. Have another drink. Does it say get angry? Don't take that from her or him. Let them have it. Does it have you isolating yourself, running from some problem that you don't want to deal with? Hiding. Does it have you bending a rule, saying no one will see this? No one notices these things. Does it just have you saying, tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow, next week? Is there another voice inside you that's calling? And it's calling for your best. And it's saying, you know what you want. What is it you want? What is it down deep the wiser part of you is saying, come on, you're better than this. Step up. Remember. Remember that night when you got talking with your friends and you were sharing what your dream is? Don't don't you remember? Come on. Snap out of it. What does that part of you say to you? What exactly is this war that goes on inside of us? Because don't be fooled, we all got this going on. What is that? Is it forces of good and evil waging war in our heads? Is it like God and the devil duking it out inside us somehow? For thousands of years, that was the common narrative. There is a war going on inside of you. Paul, one of the authors, one of the most prolific authors of the Bible, he said it this way. He says, I don't know what's going on, but I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. Man, talk about it, honesty. I don't want to do the, what is wrong, but I do it anyway. There's another, there's some kind of power inside of me and it's at war with my mind. For thousands of years, I grew up in a tradition that says, man, there is a war going on inside of you for your soul and it will have you running after temptation. It will have you saying no to the things that you should be doing. So I would try to pray this thing away. Being tempted by some dark, sinister force. But lately, neuroscientists have come up with another explanation for what's going on. They say it's actually two parts of your brain that are at war. Maybe you've heard this. Your amygdala is the oldest part of our brain. Some call it our lizard brain. It controls our impulses and it's, it, it seeks immediate gratification. It's, it's, it was originally designed for our survival. 
When we heard something in the woods, it would fire up and say, you better start running or you better grab a club because something's coming for you. But we don't deal with those threats necessarily today unless you're downtown too late or something. Typically, those kind of threats don't, don't exist in our everyday world. So this thing now is really focused on just getting what you want and need right now. And it's a pretty powerful, powerful part. It fixates on temptations, things that are exciting and shiny, things that feel good right in this moment. It fixates on distractions that will get you away from doing hard things. It will get you procrastinating like crazy. Why? It don't like hard things. It likes easy things. It is one voice that says, later, pal, have another drink. Don't worry about it. Let's just focus on feeling good. Part of your brain that actually is wired completely different. This is your prefrontal cortex. Its job has evolved over time to help us ideal our ideal picture. When we talk about our meaningful life, our prefrontal cortex loves the thought of what one day you could become. It's looking at the long-term picture, the ideal future, who you could be, what you could achieve. So where your amygdala is focused on making your life better right now in this moment, the prefrontal cortex is biased toward delaying gratification. It doesn't give a rip about what you want right now. It's saying, no, 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 do you, want, do you know where you could be? Do you know what you one day could achieve? That's what it's talking about. When it's easier to stay on the couch and watch TV, it's your prefrontal cortex that's jabbing you, saying, hey, come on. Let's get up. Let's get moving. Let's go for a walk. Get on the bike. Call your mom. Come on. Here's some things you can do. You know you want this. Remember, we talked about this. It's needling you. And you're like, ah. It encourages us to do the harder things. What's really interesting is as they've dove into the function of this prefrontal cortex, they found out that it's actually divided into three different parts. Now, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not... I'm not going to pretend I know all the intricate... Uh, to be honest, I learned this through a book. In fact, the book is something we're building this whole series, Mary Stick to It Christmas, on. It's called The Willpower Instinct. It's a bestseller. The author, Kelly McGonigal, she's a Stanford professor, PhD. She actually taught a course on this at Stanford, one of the most popular courses in all of Stanford's history. This book has done amazing things for many. This is her, her learning. The prefrontal cortex is broken into three different pieces, different functions. One part of it specializes in I will power. I will. I will be more open-minded to my, that family member that drives me nuts. 
I will get ready for bed earlier rather than staying up, staying up so late and watching junk TV. I will eat a healthy meal before I go to that party so I don't gorge on that kind of food. I will, I will, I will. It's the thing, it focuses on what you want to do. Gets you focused there. Helps us stick to the boring, difficult, and stressful tax. Now there's another part of the prefrontal cortex, and this is the I won't power. I won't spend more money than my budgeted amount buying presents this year. I won't have more than two or three drinks at that party. I won't engage that person who's always wanting to fight. The role of this part of the prefrontal cortex is to hold us back from doing things that we're craving. I won't. I will. I won't. But there's one last part. This is fascinating. The lower section specializes in I want power. I want. It's a part of us that actually keeps track of your goals and your desires. It sees that bigger picture that I was just talking about. It sees it all. It hears every conversation. It notices the kinds of things. When you're watching some ideal picture and you go, that, that makes sense to me. That, that's the kind of person I want to become. It keeps track of all of that, files it away. I want to be healthy and fit in my clothes. I want a great relationship with my kid. I want to experience financial freedom so I can be more generous, so I can be more giving. I want to be more present and available for the people in my life. I want to be this kind of person that's full of integrity and authentic. I want to be transparent. It keeps track of all this stuff. The more rapidly its cells start firing, the more motivated you'll find yourself to take action, to resist the temptation, the cravings of the moment, to become that person you want to be. The I want part, prefrontal cortex. So you have the amygdala that's focused on the present self, what you want right now. And don't, don't let me, don't hear me. I'm not trying to v- villainize the amygdala. There are times when on any given week, we need to just go time out. I want to just sleep. And you need to sleep. Time out on the goals. Time out on the productivity. I just, I just need this moment to just chill. I'm going to have a drink. I'm going to, whatever. That's fine. There are moments when the amygdala needs to speak, but I'm telling you, I could say this probably for 99% of us, the the amygdala's voice is extremely loud, and the prefrontal cortex's signals and its voice is very quiet. The question is, how do you help your prefrontal cortex get more of the say? Have more of an influence. Have more of a voice that when it speaks, you're listening. That is the challenge. That is the theme of this entire series. How can we set you up so you're paying close attention to that part of you? that part of your brain that is giving you the healthiest signals, that is literally going, meaningful life, it's right there. Come on, come on, no, 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 over here, over here, over here. How 
can we give it the attention it needs so we steer ourselves in that direction? There's a guy, story, his name is Zacchaeus, straight out of the Bible. This guy, I think, was very familiar with this war within. This guy was probably by most seen as a very sleazy, despicable individual. Tax collector, tax collectors in that day, early ancient Israel, man, they were run by the Romans. They, they extorted people. They would take, they would ask for so much tax, people couldn't afford it, and they would just put the screws to them until finally people had to surrender their land. They would leave people destitute. They hated tax collectors. Jesus is talking one day to a group of people outside, and Zacchaeus, is, he was a short guy. He's sitting up on a tree. Jesus points him out and says, you, you and I, we're going to go for lunch. Would have shocked the crowd because they knew who Zacchaeus was. Small town. They're going, what is he doing with that guy? Jesus goes and has lunch with them. Now, we don't know what he said. But I'm betting something Jesus was talking about was firing up Zacchaeus's prefrontal cortex. I would bet that Jesus started asking Zacchaeus about the kind of legacy he wants to leave behind. What he would like, the kind of people he would want his kids to be. The kind of impact that Zacchaeus is having on his community. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what Jesus was saying, but I'm betting that because Zacchaeus at one point in that conversation stands up and says, Jesus, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make things right. I'm going to give half my wealth to the poor. (laughs) And he said, those people that I've cheated, I am going to give them back what I've cheated. I'm going to give them four times the amount that I've cheated them from. Something inside them was saying, Zacchaeus, this is not who you want to be. This stuff that you're doing, this is not the kind of person down deep you've ever wanted to become. He's like, no, I don't. No, I don't. In this moment, he says, I'm not, I'm not, I, I, no, I, 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 I'm going to change. Let me ask you something. What would your life look like in your own moment? We call them come to Jesus moments. Where all of a sudden you get real clear on who it is you want to be. What would you be doing different than you are right now? What would your life look like if you were truly living true to the kind of person you want to be? What does your future self look like? What is the wisest part of you calling out inside of you saying, come on, you know you're so much better. Look at what you could be or do. This is really where it starts. The experts say 
if you want to get traction on allowing your prefrontal cortex to have a little more of a say than your amygdala, than your lizard brain, it starts with you getting really clear about who you're becoming. Some of us are becoming someone we don't want to be. That's the truth. Some of us have parts of our lives where we're going, oh, I can hardly look at that part. Other parts might be going well. But in this come to Jesus moment, we kind of look at the sum of the parts and we go, ah, okay, I need, this part has to change because that doesn't fit with really the picture of who I want to be. I think that's what a come to Jesus moment is. It just gets us staring really honestly in the mirror. Meaningful life, my values, my strengths, my passions, level of urgency, What's not fitting here? When we get really clear on this, we get very clear on what we need to do, maybe what we need to stop doing. That list starts becoming a little bit more apparent. Again, Every series that we've done this fall has been all about lining up your prefrontal cortex to give it a shot. We didn't talk about it. But these series are all prefrontal cortex exercises. Every week we're asking you, leaving you with questions, homework to go away and do, all prefrontal cortex stuff. Stuff that's fighting our amygdala along the way. We do all this work and then we have these moments, these meltdown moments where things go sideways. And I'm telling you, if there's one season of the year that's lining you up for one of those, I think it's December. How do we stay in the pocket and do the hard things? How do we avoid the temptation? How do we avoid the distraction, the procrastination? And we follow through on what we will, what we won't do, what we truly want. I'm going to bring this to a close because I I wanted to set up this series this morning. But I I wanted to leave you with a challenge. We're going to call this the willpower challenge. We want you to focus on one part of your life. Maybe it's a will, I will do this, something you want to do more of, or something you want to stop doing or do less of. Maybe it's just getting that much more clear around what it is you truly want. I don't don't care what it is. I don't care what your challenge is, but to find one, pick one. And we want you to master this or to control it this December. Now, you might lose control, and it doesn't matter. We're going to focus on one that in January we're going to look at and we're going, ow. 
Because one always leads potentially to two, to three. But the skill set that's needed to get you across that finish line in the win column for your willpower challenge, the skill set gets applied to everything. Is there one thing right now in your mind that you're thinking, uh, I'm going to give a shot at this one? Is it financial? Is it relational? Is it physical? Is it emotional? Now I want to get a little bit more specific. I want you to come up with your willpower challenge, but this week I want you to do something in regard to that thing. I want you to pay attention. Specifically what I mean. So I want you to recognize the first signs of craving either to stop doing that thing or to do it when, you, when you're wanting to not do it notice the earliest part of that war starting to kick in most of the time we don't even realize when it's happened we don't realize that we've already made a choice in the wrong direction psychologists know this we make most of our decisions completely on autopilot. They did a survey with two, <laughs> oh, a, a whole bunch of people. They asked, they just asked them, they said, how many food-related decisions do you make in a day? They just asked the whole crowd, how many do you think you made? They pulled the whole crowd. You know what the answer, average answer was? You think about it for a second. How many food decisions do you think you make in a day? So the average answer was 14. You know what? Then they had the same group of people go back and track every moment, every time they made a food-related decision. You know what the average was when they actually tracked them? 227. That was 200 more decisions than they were even aware of. We are making decisions completely on autopilot. We don't even know it. And the chances of you overriding your amygdala to give your prefrontal cortex a chance is, is reliant on you knowing when all of a sudden you feel a decision coming on. You gotta recognize this craving. This is what this Kelly McGonigal had to say. She said, if there is a secret for greater self-control, the science points to one thing, the power of paying attention. It's training the mind to recognize that you, you are making a choice. Rather than running on autopilot, it's noticing you, how t you give yourself permission. Permission to procrastinate, how you use good behavior to justify self-indulgence. It's seeing what in your world, from sales gimmicks to social proof, is shaping your behavior. It's staying put and sensing a craving when you'd rather distract yourself or give in. It's just sensing the craving, noticing it. There it is. Mm, don't say it. Don't react. Oh, I want to. It's remembering what you really want and knowing what really makes you feel better. Self-awareness is, is the one self you can always count on to help to help you do what is difficult, what matters most. She says that's the best definition of willpower she has. 
So this week, I want you to pay close attention to those early moments. Their earliest moments of craving. When the temptation comes, when that war begins, and you're going, oh, shouldn't I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? When are they happening? What are you doing in that moment when it shows up? What are you feeling? What's the situation? Notice it all. Are there common denominators of when those things show up? Now, for those of you who have been in recovery, those of you who have battled addiction, you are very aware of everything I'm talking about today because your amygdala has ran your show. You will know your triggers. Now, Vince is coming up next week to talk about things that will weaken your prefrontal cortex. It will set you up to screw you over. The situations, being aware of what those situations are to avoid them. You won't want to miss that. I'm, I'm really praying that January 1, we all have a different feeling coming in. We are able to look back and go, my God, this was different. Thinking about John right now, I'm begging John, John, give yourself another shot here. Don't tell me it's impossible. No, don't. Come on, pal. You got it in you. If there's a John out there right now that's hearing me, proverbially, maybe you're sitting here going, I have been defeated so many times. Listen to me. You got this. You got this. We got this. The meaningful life awaits. Your, your future is bright. But it's going to require you doing hard things. So pick your willpower challenge and pay attention this week. Good. That's all I got. I pray, I pray for you this week that your best self will speak loud. Your prefrontal cortex, it'll be running your show. Pay attention. Have a great week, you guys. See you next week.